Today's Bible reading comes from John chapter 17, verses 1 to 18. I don't have the page on the Pew Bible, sorry, but I'll read the right words. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name that you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world, any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. John 17 is the passage that we're going to be looking at, so it would be helpful if you had a Bible open there, and there is also a talk outline on the notice sheet, as usual, that I'm going to pray for us. Now, Father, it is an incredible thing that we have this prayer from your Son We pray that we might be able to learn from it about the things that we ought to pray for and we pray that you would teach us as we look at this prayer now and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can tell a lot about a person by the things that they pray for. Uh, If you hear them pray, then you gain a bit of an understanding of who they are. You might have heard this story before about the family that was sitting at the dining table. They had guests who'd come over for dinner and the mother was wanting to impress the guests who were there. So she turned to the six-year-old daughter and said, would you like to say grace for us? And the six-year-old was a little bit shocked and horrified and said, 
but I wouldn't know what to say. And the mother said, I'll just say what you hear mummy say. So the daughter bowed her head and clasped her hands together and said, Dear Lord, why on earth did I invite these people over to dinner? (laughs) We may have heard this prayer. Uh, This is one that I can certainly relate to. Dear Lord, so far today, I'm doing all right. I haven't gossiped, lost my temper, been greedy, grumpy, nasty or selfish. I haven't whinged or complained or used bad language. But I'll be getting out of bed in a minute. (laughs) And I really think I'm going to need your help. You can tell a lot about people from the things that they pray. The things that you pray about will reveal something about your priorities, what you think is important. What you pray about shows the things that you're concerned about. What you pray about shows what you think is important. Now, I want you to imagine for a moment that we have a a hidden microphone tucked away in your house. I'm not sure where you normally pray, whether you pray in your bedroom or the dining room or the lounge room or in your car or when you go for a walk. And I'm not sure how you pray, whether or not you just pray about the things that are on the top of your head. Uh, Maybe you list things or people that you want to pray for. Maybe you have a prayer diary. But wherever it is that you pray and however it is that you pray... We've got a microphone there. So what would your prayers tell us about you? What would they tell us about what you think is important? What would they tell us about you and your relationship with God? What kind of things do you pray for? Do you have a list of things that you pray for regularly? We come today to John 17, and this is the very last scene in the upper room. Jesus has been sharing this Passover meal with his disciples the night before he goes to the cross. And the very next thing that will happen after this prayer is that they will leave the upper room and go to the garden where Jesus will be arrested. But before that happens, he prays. And his prayer gives us a pretty remarkable insight into his priorities. But more than that, it challenges us about our priorities in our Christian lives. So what does Jesus pray for? Well, if you've got your Bible open there, chapter 17 of John's Gospel, you'll find it right at the very first verse. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. Glorify is kind of one of those religious words that we tend to toss around in churches and don't think too hard about what it actually means. But to glorify means to show clearly what God is like. It means to reveal God's greatness so that we can be amazed by what our God is like. We glorify God by revealing him to other people, by enabling other people to see him clearly. And when we see what God is like, then we know how it is that we should respond to God. We know how it is that we should respect God or revere God or relate to God. Jesus wants to glorify God, to show what God is like so that people will respond in the right way to God. So the view that you have of someone is going to be based on what has been revealed about that person. Uh, This is Bill and Melinda Gates. Uh, Probably know him, Mr Microsoft. Uh, He's worth 
They estimate that his net worth is somewhere around about $136 billion. Now, if that was all we knew about him, that would shape a particular view that we have of him. But Bill and his wife, Melinda, have established a foundation where they've actually given away billions and billions of dollars toward health, education programs and developing development programs right throughout the world. Now, knowing that about Bill Gates will actually change your opinion of him slightly, possibly, I'm not sure. Uh, Bill Gates has also established a thing in the United States called the Giving Pledge, where he's trying to get the richest people in the world to commit to giving away half of their wealth, either during their lifetime or giving it away in their will to charitable organisations. And he's managed to get 128 billionaires to sign up to this pledge. Now, when you know that about Bill Gates, well, it influences how you see him. It changes the way that you view him. And the same principle applies to God's glory. The more that we know about God, what God is like, what it is that God has done, the more likely we will respect God, revere God, glorify God. God is glorified or revered or respected or honoured when people know what God is like. So Jesus says that the hour has come for him to glorify the Father. So how's he going to do that? Well, he's going to do that on the cross, which seems like a pretty unlikely place. But that's where we get the greatest insight into God's character and into the character of his son, Jesus. That's where we see God's glory most clearly revealed. It's on the cross that we see the incredible lengths that the Father and the Son are willing to go to so that you can be forgiven, so that I can be forgiven, so that we can be made right with God. See, God doesn't benefit from the death of his Son on the cross, and Jesus certainly doesn't benefit by dying on the cross. In fact, for both the Father and the Son, it's an incredible cost. We are the ones who benefit from that death on the cross. Jesus did it so that we can have eternal life. The place that we most clearly see what God is like, the place that we most clearly see God's glory is in the cross. We see the gracious forgiving character of God. We see God's extraordinary love for us. So that's the first thing that Jesus prays for in his prayer list. The second thing that Jesus prays for is protection for his disciples. Jesus has just announced that he is leaving. Uh, the disciples are wondering what in the world is now going to happen to them. They've been with him for about three years now, and let's face it, they're only just beginning to understand who he is and what he's come to do. And now Jesus says that he's leaving. So he prays that God will protect them. Not sure if you noticed the little twist in here. The reason that they need to be protected is not just because Jesus is going away. They'll need protection because following Jesus is going to make their life harder. Jesus has already warned them that they'll probably be hated because, people, because they follow, follow Jesus. 
And he says it again here in the prayer. Have a look in verse number 14. I have given them your word, saying this to the Father, and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. Following Jesus means having a different set of priorities. And following Jesus may mean that your priorities will be at odds with the people around you, possibly even with your family or friends. And Jesus doesn't want God to remove them from the world or to wrap them in cotton wool or hide them away somewhere. Look at what he says in verse 15. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Now, we don't have it recorded for us in the Bible, but to the best of our knowledge, 11 of the 10 disciples, not counting Judas, uh, 11 of the 10 disciples that were there on that last night as Jesus prayed this prayer, 10 of those 11 died a martyr's death. They were stoned to death or crucified or beheaded or burned alive hung, thrown from the roof of the temple. For each of them, their death was actually a direct result of following Jesus. And it kind of might leave you wondering whether or not Jesus' prayer didn't get answered or maybe God didn't hear this part of the prayer. He prayed for their protection and they've all died a martyr's death. But again, Jesus isn't asking that nothing would happen to them. He's praying that they would be protected from the evil one, protected in their faith and their trust in Jesus. And while each of them may have died a martyr's death, again, to the best of our knowledge, each of them went to the grave holding firmly to their trust in Jesus. In fact, for each of them, as much as it's possible for us to know, went to to their death because they trusted Jesus. Each of them went to the grave, still committed to preaching that message to the world. So what Jesus prayed for them, God did do, protected them from the evil one. But another thing that Jesus prays for in this prayer is the mission the mission that he has been on and the mission that he expects that his followers will be on. Go right back to the beginning, verse number one. Father, the time has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. That's the mission. That's what Jesus came to do, to give eternal life. But what Jesus prays about specifically is that the mission will continue with his disciples. Jump down to verse number 18. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Now let's be clear about this. Jesus is saying that in the same way that God sent him into the world, With this message of eternal life, Jesus is now sending his followers. Jesus makes it possible for us to have eternal life through his death on the cross. 
and the followers of Jesus make it possible for others to have eternal life by telling them the good news about Jesus. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Jesus is fully expecting that his disciples will be taking the message about Jesus to the world. And did you see what Jesus says about eternal life? Jump back up to verse 3, chapter 17. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life isn't the place that you go to at the end of your life. Eternal life is about knowing God personally. Jesus came to die on the cross so that we could know God. Eternal life is a relationship with God that starts at the moment that you accept the forgiveness that Jesus offers, and it's a relationship that goes on into eternity. And that's the message that's been entrusted to the disciples. It's a message about how to believe in Jesus, how to know God personally. And there's one final thing that Jesus prays for in this prayer. He prays for unity. Jesus wants the people who follow him to be unified. And that unity is again connected to the mission. Jump down to verse 20 and 21. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And then he says the same thing in verse 23. I in them and you in me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus wants his followers, his church, to be unified just the same way that he and the Father are unified. Now, we don't have unity for unity's sake. We are unified in what we believe about Jesus, unified in the mission to take this message about Jesus to the world. There's a very real sense in which the church is going to be God's public face here on earth. And sadly, we don't always do a very good job of that. We're supposed to be unified, united. We're supposed to be loving one another. And the more that we're able to do that, the more compelling the message that we preach. The more that we're able to do that, to be unified, to be united, the more believable it will be that Jesus really did come from God. Well, that's the prayer points from Jesus. 
So how does that compare to the things that you normally pray about? I have to say, when I look at Jesus' prayer here, it's uh, bound to be a bit of a wake-up call for me and the things that I pray for. So what are going to be the things that will normally be on our prayer points? We'll normally have things like our health or our security or our finances or our plans or our families or our decisions. Dare I say, we normally tend to be somewhat self-centred in our prayers. And here's Jesus, the night that he is about to head off to the cross to face the most horrid death. And what does he pray for? Well, he's concerned for God's glory. He's concerned for protection and unity among the disciples. He's concerned for the spread of the gospel. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not suggesting that we should never pray about the things that are happening in our life. I'm sure that God wants to hear about those things. I mean, it's our daily bread, Jesus says, that we ought to be thanking God for. But this passage should remind us of the big picture. Like Jesus, our prayers should revolve around God, not around us. I think we can learn valuable lessons from the priorities that Jesus has here. That what Jesus has prayed for here is virtually what he taught his disciples to pray when he taught them the Lord's Prayer. That God's name would be hallowed, that God's kingdom would come. They're the things that we should be concerned about. Concerned to see God glorified, acknowledged as God because of what Jesus has done. We should be praying about the unity of our church, for, ex- for example, and-, and the way that we can demonstrate that unity and that love to the community around us. And we should be praying about the message of Jesus reaching those who have not yet heard. And praying that we can have a part in getting that message across to the world. We have this message of eternal life, a message of how we can know God personally, a message that glorifies God. Those things should feature at least somewhere on our prayer points. John's going to pray for us now. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word that not only challenges us and exposes our shortcomings, but holds out a promise of an inheritance that is eternal and that can never perish, spoil or fade. Father, we recognise that your glory will be ultimately revealed as your kingdom is revealed on earth and your will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Please give us your kingdom's perspective as we deal with life's daily challenges, whether it's related to our work, health issues, caring for family members, or even raising children. Please grant us the insight to see that everything, everything we do this week is worthwhile because we have the desire for it to be ultimately for your honour and for your glory. Amen.